In this series called Prepared Not Panicked, we ask the question. As a church, we are supposed to be prepared. Amen? Are we to be panicked like the rest of the world? Are we we to be running scared as, as other people may or may not do, depending on their own beliefs and what we hold as dear truth to us? I want you to see a glimpse today in the Scriptures of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of Jesus in all His glory. And we are the church in this scene that I'm getting ready to read to you. You're going to be there if you have a relationship with Him. You're going to see it. You're going to be a part of it. And today, we just want you to simply bask in it and imagine what it would be like. Listen to Revelation 1, verses 6 through 18. He says, He has made us a kingdom of priests for God His Father. We are a kingdom of priests. Amen? That is the power that you and I have. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen? Now look, He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see Him, even those who pierced Him. Do not forget that it was your sin and it was my sin that put Him on that cross. Amen? It's not just the Romans. It was not just the Jews. It was your sin. It was my sin that pierced His side, that laid Him, that placed Him and kept Him on that cross. And all the nations of the world will mourn for Him. Yes. Amen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, the one who always was, and one who is still to come. There's more. There's more to experience of Jesus Christ. Amen? The Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. And I was exiled on the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. And it was the Lord's Day. What is today? The Lord's Day. It was on a Sunday that John gathered. And when he wrote this, we can imagine it. We can hold on to it. It was on a Sunday, he says, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. And suddenly, I heard a loud voice like a trumpet blast from behind me. And it said, write, John, in a book, everything that you see, and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool. They were white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet 
as if I were dead. But he came to me and he laid his right hand on me and he said, Church, John, don't be afraid. I am the first and I'm also the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. As we see this vision that John gives us today, what a scene it is to us. But what's the message for us? What are we supposed to do with this message? It's a message to be prepared, but not to be famous. It's a message in the midst of a culture that takes leaps from the truth and righteousness of Jesus Christ every day. It is a message for all of us who worry about yesterday. For all of us who might worry about today. And for those like me with two daughters, one in college, one getting ready to go, to go, God, what kind of world have I participated in to pass off to them? i got to be honest, as a father, I sometimes worry and look to the future, not so much for me, but I think about those generations coming after us. If we worry about those things, here's what Jesus Christ says to us. This message is for us. If you struggled in relationships in life, if you struggle with, with suffering that you're going through today, what Jesus declares over us are these, at least these three things. Hope, security, incredible confidence. Amen? We're the church. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. And we will stand with Him on that day. And the whole purpose of this message is that we would be transformed. The title of this message today is A Transforming View. It is not that we would sit on our hands. It's that we would come and pack in a service at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, yes, the Lord's Day, and that we would not go out of here and be changed and be transformed. The whole reason for this view, for this image, is that we would be a church, the body of Christ, transformed more and more every day. Amen? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I believe Paul has this vision that John is giving us that we're going to discuss today. He has this vision in mind when he says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed. Say it with me. We are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see, the image is not just for us to sit and be in awe of. The image that John gives us in the book of Revelation is to be a foretelling of where you and I are going every day that we are being transformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. And then he says, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Would you stand with me again? I want you to think about this. What is it going to be like to worship God? To worship Jesus Christ when He comes from the clouds? Do we see Him in all His glory? Heaven begins for you right now. Imagine. We can just imagine what that's going to be like. You know, this week, uh, as I was thinking about this, this message and 
as Danny and I were talking about what we were going to do together. Here's, I cannot ever sing that song without seeing my great-grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother worshiping before Jesus Christ. I was in tears. I was in my study. I was in my leather chair. I was listening to this, and all of a sudden, it hit me, and I saw the three of them dancing before Jesus Christ. I don't know what you see when you experience that. I don't know what you experience as you think about the glory of Jesus Christ. But here's the bottom line with everything that we do. It is for transformation. It is that our lives would not be the same when we see Jesus Christ for who He is and that we would gaze upon Him. You see, this is a time of transformation in our culture. It's a time in our calendar of transformation. How many of you have made a New Year's resolution? Okay, you've lifted your hands. Uh, Come on, people. You bunch of liars, okay? Don't make me call you out right now. How many of you have made a New Year's resolution in some way, shape, or form? Raise your hands. And how many of you are sticking to it already? All right, as the hands go down, there's a few of you. It's a time of transformation in our culture. It's a time on our calendar where we seek to be different. We seek to lose weight. We seek to exercise more. We seek to stay away from the fast food. We seek to stay away from the sweets. We seek to be nicer to others. I have had a couple of people here at EVC that has come up to me and told me that their New Year's resolution was to be nicer to me, okay? (laughs) I wanted to say, I didn't know you'd been being mean to me, all right? So thank you. There's a few few others of you that I think you need to uh, work on that a little bit. (laughs) That might need to be your New Year's resolution as well. But it's a time of transformation. It's a time where we look at these things. I bought a book this week. And it is called the Change Your Biology Diet, okay? Because I want to lose some weight in 2016. The Change Your Biology Diet. I heard it on a CBS news program and got it. And all I can tell you is this. The forward is really funny because it's by David Letterman. So the first page and a half are really good. But after that, I'd have to change my biology because I obviously I can't quit eating. So now then if I can't change my eating habits, then I just have to change my biology. Well, that's not really what it's dealing with. But what it's saying is this. Look, you have to look at your heredity. You have to look at some of the medications you're on. You have to see what your body is doing to to actually see how it reacts with food and your appetite and all these different things. But I want to see changes in my own life. But here's the truth for us as the body of Christ. We can't come to this image that I just read a few minutes ago and expect to leave the same. If we do, there's something that's going on inside of our own spirits. We need to understand that what God is calling us to is that we would be different. We need to have a transformational view. But here's the truth about legalism. Here's what legalism does. Legalism, instead of getting a clear view of Jesus Christ, I choose somebody, maybe in the church, maybe a pastor, maybe a Christian figure, maybe someone who wrote a book, and I get them in my mindset, and I think, I just need to be like them. Well, that's what we call legalism. Because we seek to be like them instead of being like Christ, and we seek to see what other people are doing and try to imitate or mock what they're doing. Whatever they're wearing, we're wearing. Whatever the kind of things they say, we attempt to say. The kind of things they eat, we eat. And it develops this legalism that definitely creeps into the church when we get our eyes on each other and start making each other the measuring stick by which we live our lives in Christ. 
That's not what we're called to do. We're called to look and gaze upon Jesus Christ. The same thing happens for sin in our lives. It's the whole principle, just like eating. It's garbage in and garbage out. Here's the great thing about weight loss. Guess what? If you eat more calories than you work out and lose, guess what? You're going to lose weight, okay? That's just the... You people need to get a little bit more alive today. That is true, okay? If you don't say amen or yeah or at least have some pulse, I'm going to call all of us out on this, okay? I need your help a little bit this morning. So, it's transformational. It's garbage in, garbage out. The same is true with sin in our life. If we are always dealing with sin, if we're always taking in, if we're always, if our media is always coming into our lives, the sinful media, whatever it might be, whatever, I'm not going to say particular shows or different things, but if you're always taking in garbage, the sin in your life is going to measure up to the point where you're beginning to imitate that sin. Jennifer was sharing with me just a few weeks ago some research that she had found out in a school district meeting that the top four people that you're around are going to be the people that you are, is going to be the character that you begin to reproduce in your own life. Now I want you to think about that. Who are the top four people in your life? Take a look at your spouse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the people that you're around the most, you're going to tend to be like in character. Corinthians said it very clearly. Bad company corrupts good morals. So it makes a difference who you're around. It's garbage in. It's garbage out. These are the things that we need to understand if we're going to live this life. Our character needs to change. Our character needs to be transformed. But when we think about sin in our life, we're always taking it in. What happens is what's left is emptiness. And that is not the path that Jesus Christ has for us. He wants our lives to be different. Look at what 2 Corinthians said. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all with unveiled face. What that basically means is this. There are no barriers anymore. At some point in your life, you have to take down the barriers. You have to take down the veil off your eyes. And with no longer any barriers between you and this clear vision, you behold, you are beholding the glory of the Lord, the only one who is worthy of our fixation, the only one who measures up that we need to be measuring our lives against. And we are being transformed into that same image. That same image that we just read, that we're going to look at again in the book of Revelation. As Jesus Christ is revealed, that same image, we are going to be becoming more and more like Him. This is the goal of the church. It is our purpose. We are going to be having our annual church membership meeting on January the 27th at 8 p.m. And here's the opportunity for us as we overlook our budget, as we overlook our activities, as we overlook and think about what God did last year. Here's the truth. If something that we are doing does not lead us to be being transformed as the body of Christ to become more like the image of Jesus Christ, why on earth are we doing it? There's no reason. The only reason that we exist as the church, the body of Christ, is to be becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day from one degree of glory to the other from this comes the lord for this comes from the lord who is spirit here's the truth i want you to write down this statement if you write down nothing else i want you to write down this statement because i hope that you'll go back and look at this passage in revelation in light of this statement change 
comes in our lives from steady gazing of the glory of Jesus Christ. Change or transformation comes to our life when we are on a regular basis gazing at the glory of Jesus Christ. Do a time audit of your life. If you are not gazing more into the truth of God's Word, if you are not spending time with the body of Christ, if you are not spending more time in those things than in other things that we do, your life and my life will not continually more and more as is the purpose of the goal of the church to look more and more like Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen if we don't gaze at Him, if we don't see Him more clearly. We need an ever-increasing measure of our relationship with Jesus. John Piper said it this way, and I love these statements. They're not going to be on the screen, so I encourage you if you want to write them down or go back and listen to this again. We need the perseverance of Christ in the face of affliction. Amen? We need the energy and strength of Christ in the face of depleting pressures of our life. We need the wisdom of Christ in the face of complexities of life and of ministry. We need the stability of Christ in the midst of rapid social and political and personal changes as they happen all around us. We need His stability. We need the assurance of His sovereign authority in a culture that is sliding farther and farther from His truth. Folks, we need a constant, everyday, renewed, clear, perfect vision of Jesus Christ because that is the image that our lives should be measured against. And we get that today in the book of Revelation. That's the whole purpose of Revelation. As Pastor Bart said last week, the whole purpose of Revelation is that we would be prepared. But the whole view of Revelation is simply this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That you and I would have a clearer, more vibrant understanding and vision of who Jesus is and who He wants to be in our life. So we should be changed. We should be transformed. But there are three things that I want us to look at today that we need to be transformed within. Three key areas that I think we need to see transformation in. The first one is this. We need to see our suffering differently. Now, we did a message series just a few months ago on suffering. Pastor Bart and I have talked, as we talk very regularly about this, we believe that God has called us here together at this time in order to prepare the church, our church, maybe other churches, for the fact that suffering is not only coming, suffering is here. Do you think that the church is suffering more today than it was 25 years ago? Absolutely. Do you think the church is suffering more today dealing with persecution in these United States? Do you think we are dealing with more persecution and more struggle and more suffering than we did 50 years ago? Yes. And it is going to be ever increasing. Do you think it's any different for the church that is growing by leaps and bounds in China that is being persecuted every day? Do you think there's more persecution that's happening today? And the answer is yes. There's persecution that is coming. There is persecution that is here. And you see, it's not only the suffering that we experience as the church, the body of Christ, even though we still live in a free society, we have seen even this calendar year, those freedoms beginning to shrink back. The question is, will we shrink back or will we stand? Will we be part of those who call ourselves the called out ones? Will we stand in the culture and with the culture, but not be of the culture, but be in it 
to the glory of Jesus Christ. We need to see our suffering differently, but it's not only suffering corporately, it's personal suffering. As I look at your faces today, I know some of you struggle. I know some of your loved ones are undergoing treatment right now and struggling with a variety of diseases. And I hurt for you. You are going through suffering. I know others of you have lost key loved ones this calendar year. I know others of you, your parents who struggle with children or a spouse who is away from God. I know you are experiencing suffering. And what I'm here to tell you is this. You can see your suffering differently. Why? Because of the truth that is in this book, the book of Revelation. You see, John saw his suffering differently. John chose suffering rather than comfort. John most likely was the oldest of the disciples. We know that John was likely born somewhere around the time of Jesus, around 4 B.C. to 4 A.D., somewhere in that time span. We know that he died after 96 A.D., sometime between 96 and 105 because of the emperor Diocletian. We know when Diocletian's reign ended, it ended in A.D. 96, and we know that John lived beyond it. We know that John suffered. We know that he suffered great things. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, says this about John in the second century. He says, he documented that John was placed in a pot of boiling oil and never recanted his faith, and so much so that he prophesy or he spoke of Jesus's favor and of salvation in the midst of the pot of boiling oil. Well, I don't know whether you understand this or not, but the temperature by which oil boils is much higher than water. So higher than 212 degrees. I'm sure somebody in here, and I should have looked it up myself, could tell me the boiling point of oil. But nevertheless, it is much higher than water. And John left that pot of boiling oil unscathed. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the friends of Daniel? And much like that same situation, John exited that pot of boiling oil and he continued to give testimony of Jesus Christ. So much so that Diocletian sent him to the Isle of Patmos. Imagine, if you would, Alcatraz, if you've ever been there or seen pictures of it. It is an island, Patmos is, an island six miles wide, 10 miles long. It is just a rock. It was a penal colony of Rome. And it's where the Rome or Roman emperors would send people who were against their particular rule. And Diocletian, second only to Nero in the persecution of Christians, sent John to the Isle of Patmos. John chose suffering, but yet he saw his suffering differently and he gives us hope and confidence that we can see our suffering differently as well i want you to think about this look at revelation 1 verses 9 and 10 it says i john am your brother and i am your partner in suffering what is he talking about you see the early church is going through suffering the whole book of revelation was incredibly hopeful to the early church why because they were experiencing incredible difficulty they would have communion with each other on one particular Lord's Day, and the next week they may have half the people who were there. Some, by Nero, had been put up on stakes and covered with oil and lit the roads of Rome. Christians. Others placed into the Colosseum with the lions. You see, our forebears of Christianity were struggling, and the book of Revelation was incredibly hopeful because John says, look, I've suffered, Christ has suffered, and I am your partner 
in this suffering. You need to see your suffering differently. There is a purpose for it. I am not only your partner in suffering, but I'm your partner in God's kingdom as well. And in the patient endurance with which Jesus calls us, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. What happens when we endure suffering? You see, the commonplace, it was commonplace when the book of Revelation was read that other Christians would rise up and say, that's John's testimony. This is my testimony of enduring the suffering. I don't know what you're going through. You're going through great difficulty. Some of you are in dark places at your workplace. And when you go in, you don't have people who, that you can openly share your faith with. You don't have someone that you can say, pray for me. It is a dark place, and God has placed you there for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. Others of you are struggling with, with difficult relationships, with people that have gone astray. I'm telling you, your suffering, you can see it differently because it partners you not only with John, but it partners you with Jesus Christ. Listen to what 1 Peter says. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ has suffered for you, He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. Chapter 4, verse 13 of 1 Peter says, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing the glory when it's revealed to all the world. What John is saying, what Paul is saying, what Peter, all these apostles, what they're saying is this. When you and I go through suffering, we are partnered with Jesus Christ. Why would we think it would be any different? If they treated Jesus this way, why won't they treat us this way? The question many of us need to ask is this. Not why am I being persecuted, but why on earth am I not being persecuted? That old adage of, if you were convicted for your faith, would you have enough evidence to actually convict you or not? We can see our suffering differently. I'll never forget because it was this passage. This one's not going to be up on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 7. God used this to call me into ministry. I was, nine, I was in ninth grade. And as I was in ninth grade, I was at a chapel service, which was part of the Christian school that I was a part of. And God called me into ministry with this particular passage. But I had never suffered. I hadn't even lost loved ones to, to a great degree by the time I was in ninth grade. What was I dealing with? What God was telling me was, you may not have suffered now, but you will. And when you are, when you do go through that, what will you do with it? Listen to 1 Corinthians. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Everything that you go through is a choice of how you're going to see it. Are you going to see the suffering that you go through as only for you? Maybe that God is punishing you. Are you going to see it as the opportunity through which God is giving you an opportunity to minister to somebody else through that same thing with which you've gone through as well? When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower with His comfort us through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure, patiently endure the same words that John uses, patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, 
you will also share in the comfort God gives. What Paul is saying in that passage is this. When you go through suffering, when you go through difficulty, when you go through persecution, when you are ridiculed at school or at work, when you go through that, you're identifying with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to use it, Jesus says, to help someone else and to comfort them with the same comfort that I'm giving you. You see, we need to see our suffering in a different way. It needs to be transformed. The second thing I want us to see today is this. We need to see our gathering differently. We need to see our relationships as the body of Christ differently. We need to be seeing it transformed. I had a great conversation with Kara and Allison. They were talking with a few friends of theirs, some that were in college, and they were talking about this whole aspect of do we should we really be a part of the church? And Kara and Allison were just talking about some of those questions, and we just had a very open discussion about that because here's the situation. They're going to both be on a Christian campus, and so they'll have the opportunity to go to Christian Bible studies on campus. They can be a part of Christian sororities that do great ministry to others. So a sorority that Kara is in helps out uh, teenage pregnant moms, and it works with them. So there's a great opportunity for Bible study, for outreach. And their question to me was just, why should we be a part of a local church? That's what another friend of theirs was beginning to, to question. Well, our whole sin series is a, a great answer to that, but here's another one. Where is John? He is praising God on the what? The Lord's Day. He gathers together. He does not forsake the assembly. He is gathering on the Lord's Day and he is in worship on this Lord's Day. But I want you to see the vision that he has here. If we're, Are we supposed to be a part of the local church? I would say absolutely. Verse 10 of chapter 1, it says, It was the Lord's Day and I was worshiping in the Spirit. One question for us would be, are we gathering together and are we worshiping in the Spirit? Or are we just singing songs? Are we just coming to sit and to be a part? Or are we worshiping in the Spirit? He then says, When I turned to see who was speaking to me, and this is so key, I saw the seven golden lampstands. Now, you need to understand that the seven golden lampstands were representations of the church, the body of Christ. These seven churches that, that John talks about, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Laodicea. He mentions Philadelphia. He says, I saw the seven gold lampstands, and, and the voice said, Write in a book everything that I am saying to you. Now, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Here's what we have to have a clear vision. We need to see our gathering differently because where do we see Jesus Christ in the middle of? The church. Jesus Christ, in this image that we have just displayed, is in the middle of not just the church, but the local church. He mentions these seven local communities. He is in the midst of them. We do not need to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because, yes, worship can be great. Yes, we can do more together than we could apart. But we need to gather together and to see it differently because Jesus Christ, when He returns again, is going to be in the middle of the church. Where should we be? In the middle of the church. In the body of believers. It was on the Lord's day. He was in the midst of these lampstands. Now, one of the things that we see with John, over a hundred times he does 
almost direct quotes of different passages in the Old Testament. Daniel, Zechariah are two of his favorites. Isaiah is another. And we see here a almost direct correlation to Daniel chapter 7, which I want to read for you, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one, that is God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority. This is Jesus. He was given honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. When we see this view of Jesus, there are several images that we see that I want to be very clear about what they mean. Because this view of Jesus helps us to understand why we should gather together because He is in the midst of the local church and because He's in the midst of us. And this image that we have, we are one day becoming, we need to see these things very clearly. First of all, He has a long robe and a sash around His chest. This is to describe Him as an understanding that He is a priestly king. Just like the the high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies and would enter that place and would sprinkle the blood, the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, onto the mercy seat, which was on the Ark of the Covenant. And that high priest would do that once a year, therefore representing the sins of the people. So Jesus Christ stands in this long priestly robe with this sash around Him that says He is the final high priest who takes our sins before the Father. Amen? That's what Jesus does. He also says his hair is is as white as wool. That ought to give some of you in this crowd today a little hope and encouragement. Amen? You get, and that's right, Bill. I was going to talk about you this morning with this. Bill, your white hair today is an exhibition of age and of wisdom. You do not get white hair unless you live a long of life, or unless you're a little bit of a freak of nature. <laughs> you, sir, are long life. And those of us around should have great respect for those who have this white flowing hair because in this passage, what this is describing is that Jesus is a person of age and of wisdom. There will be aging in heaven. I'm sorry to tell some of you. There will be aging in heaven, or at least I believe this is a depiction of that. But the aging will not carry with it any loss of weakness or muscle or anything else. It will be aging that only gains us wisdom and respect. This week I went to the barber, and as he was cutting my hair, and I have this sash around me, and it's dark blue, and my hair falls upon it, and I realized it's all gray. And I said, how in the world did this happen? Did this happen just overnight? And he goes, no, I think it's been happening for quite some time. But it's just more and more gray. Why? Because it is the opportunity of the gathering of life. And when we see Jesus' hair as white as wool, what it says is this. He has incredible wisdom. And that wisdom that he has is available to us. That wisdom that he has. Where does Jesus live, by the way? In you and me. So we have this wisdom available. We are becoming more and more like him. The, he, he has age, but he has also incredible fire 
this next phrase. His eyes were like fire. He is excited. He is enthusiastic. I'll never forget my father-in-law always talking about when he'd see my daughters, he would know whether they were sick or feeling well. He said, I always look at their eyes. Isn't that right, William? Melissa, you guys, all, all you guys, you, you look at the eyes because when you look at the eyes, you can tell the window of the soul. Have you ever been with someone that it was difficult for you to look them in the eye because when you looked them in the eye, you felt like they were literally penetrating your soul? The lights are always up when I speak, when Bart speaks. The reason is because we speak to people, to individuals. I have to be able to see your eyes. Why? Because that tells me if they're closed, I know i got to do something and speak a little bit louder to some of you guys. All right? Call on some of you to pray when you're sleeping. Okay? For others of you, I can see whether, whether you're paying attention, but it's just I speak to people. I speak to eyes. And Jesus' eyes are alive with fire. Yes, He has this wisdom of an ancient one. He has this age, but He has the brightness and the fire of His eyes. It says His feet were polished like bronze in a furnace. That is a statement of strength. That Jesus walks in and out of the churches. He is in our church. He walks in and out of us. And He has great strength. And it also speaks of purity. That Jesus is the one to which we are held to the standard. Not any one of the rest of us. We have our eyes on Jesus. His voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves on this Isle of Patmos. It is believed that John wrote this book of Revelation in a cave in which the ocean waves would come in and splash up and he would hear these ocean waves on the, on the Isle of Patmos. And it speaks of authority that Jesus Christ has as His voice is like the, the Niagara Falls. It just keeps booming and coming and coming. He held seven stars in His right hand. The seven stars were the seven messengers. These were the seven angels that went to these individual seven churches. So what is it saying? When Jesus holds the completeness, the number seven, anytime you see the number seven, it always speaks of completeness, the complete church, the complete judgment, the complete message of Jesus Christ. He holds these angels, these seven stars within His right hand to say that He holds all authority for this message that goes out. And it says that His mouth or His tongue is like a sword which speaks to the point of judgment. Jesus is the final judge. But what we get the great incredible privilege of saying is Jesus does not judge us individually because we are in Him. Jesus is the ultimate judge. And so, this sharp two-edged sword, and one of my favorites in this, is His face shone bright like the sun with such brilliance. You can't look at the face of Jesus and not be changed. You can't look at this glimpse and go out of this place and just live your life the same way that you lived it before. We are called as the church to view our gathering together differently. The final thing that I want you to see is we are to see our role. We are to see our role in the body of Christ differently, transformed. Listen to what John says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he came out. 
And he laid his right hand on me and he said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one, John. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. We are to see our roles differently because Jesus Christ has transformed us. This is not about us as the body of Christ just to come in and sit on a Sunday morning and to hear a message and to go out unchanged. We are to be serving one another within the body of Christ. If you have, or if you are here and you have the, the living presence of Jesus Christ in your life, you are to be living your role out differently. Why? Because John has said, listen, you can have incredible confidence. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be panicked. You can be prepared. And you can live confidently because Jesus Christ not only holds the not only holds death in the grave, but he holds the keys to it. One of my favorite characters on all TV shows is Barney Fife, all right? Can I get an amen this morning, all right? Barney Fife. The reason I love Barney Fife is because Barney would always do what? He would lock himself into the jail cell and forget what? That the keys were often right on the outside. But just when you would see him lock himself in and he would go, oh, the keys are in the outside. Guess what? The keys weren't there. And he would always be so happy when Andy Taylor would come in because he knew what? Andy had the keys. You and I are like the Barney Fives of Christianity, all right? <laughs> but listen, we get locked in these jail cells of our past, of particular struggles that we have, Struggles against eating, struggles against addiction, struggles with relationships. We're locked in these cells and we lock ourselves in. But the truth of this passage is this. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Jesus Christ has the keys to whatever cell you've locked yourself in or what others have locked you in. People that have spoken words over you of negativity, things that, that aren't true, but they've said that they're true and you've begun to believe that they're true. These things have been unlocked because Jesus holds the keys. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. It says, verses 54 through 57 says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, then this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first and the last. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. Jesus was present in your past when horrible things were done to you, when horrible things were said over you. Jesus Christ is in your present. When you walk in difficulty, in suffering, in living out your role differently, Jesus Christ is here. Jesus Christ is already in your future. And you can walk in confidence knowing that your role can be lived out differently because you can have confidence that Jesus Christ is always with you. As you consider Jesus at this particular time of our existence, I want you to have the, the viewpoint, the revelation that John gives us. 
I don't want you to think of Jesus worried about the United States. Jesus doesn't wring His hand and doesn't quibble in fear because we signed a nuclear agreement with Iran. Jesus doesn't wring His hand and, and sit in the corner and just shake because of all the cultural issues that have happened in our world. Jesus Christ stands boldly in opposition, boldly in power, boldly in understanding that He has it all together. We don't have to be panicked because we have confidence that our roles are different, our gathering should be viewed differently, and as we see our own suffering that we struggle together. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on back in. Would you just bow your heads with me? I want us to finish with worship as we begin. To think about what Christ wants to do in us. I want you to sing with power that we are His bride. We are the ones who have been called to His side. We are the ones who stand today with a clear vision of who He wants to be in our lives. But if you don't have a relationship with Him today, He is available to you. Unfortunately for you, you can live this life panicked because you don't have that assurance and you don't have that confidence. And He doesn't want that for you. And I sure don't want that for you. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. You can invite Him to be your Savior and your Lord. You can begin to be transformed just like the rest of us are on a journey of transformation day in and day out to be more and more like Jesus Christ. You can do that simply by inviting Him to be your Savior. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the truth of Your Word, for the power of this book. I thank You for the, the revelation of You, Jesus, that You are the one that we look to. You are the, the morning star. You are the alpha. You are the omega. You're the one who holds us all together. Jesus, may our vision of you be clearer today so that our vision of ourselves would be clearer as well. In Jesus' name.